Welcome to Catching Them All, the podcast where two wildlife lovers try to see as many critters as possible. We hope you enjoy the stories we share and get just as excited about wildlife as we do. No critters were actually caught during the making of these episodes. Welcome to Catching Them All, the podcast where two wildlife lovers and all of their family and friends try to see as many critters as possible. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Courtney. I'm James. I wanted to play you something. Okay. I'm going to record with James, and then I get to go on my um, conference trip, and then Courtney and her James are going to record. So that's pretty exciting. So it's a competition. I don't think it's a competition. Um, Two dudes named James, both the boyfriends of the podcasters. (laughs) What do you think about that? Two guest Jameses. Yeah, it's a battle of the Jameses. I'm okay with that. Battle of the Jameses. Do you want to be James or do you want a nickname? Do you want a code name? Uh, My nickname at work is Juice right now. (laughs) All right, Juice. (laughs) Not related to OJ Simpson. (laughs) But I'm I'm bringing some serious energy, though. Yeah. All right, Juice. So, um, oh, our cat is outside of the door trying to get in right now. Um, So, Juice, can you describe our current situation? Um, We're underneath the... uh, sheet fort that we have constructed in here to keep the sound uh, regulated, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like a little toad in the middle of the woods under a toadstool? Uh, It does feel pretty magical. (laughs) It kind of harkens back to uh, days of yore, you know, hanging out and building a little (laughs) fort in the living room or something, hanging out with your cousins. Yeah. (laughs) I've been pretty obsessed with trying to uh, find a toad costume for Halloween, so I'm like slowly building that. So I'm I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> the toad vibes. Got toad vibes. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, spooky. Ooh. Halloween is coming. <laughs> Dimly lit room. <laughs> um, so do you want to introduce yourself? A little, just say like a little bit about yourself and what you do. And All right. Well, I'm obviously your husband. Yeah. I'm uh, your James. The Courtney's James. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I... I've cooked for a living, pretty much. That's my uh, occupation, I guess. Uh, my hobbies. I don't know. I guess I'm a good guest for the podcast because I do stuff outside all the time. I like to fish a lot, which is what I'm going to talk about today. I guess is fish. It's a, an appropriate yeah. thing to start with. And you work at a seafood market. right I now. I do work at a seafood market yep. right now. Taco mm-hmm. Seafood. Shout outs. Shout out. <laughs> Best seafood market in town. Also, shout outs to Blake for letting me use waiters. Well, actually, they're my waiters, but he let me use the wading boots that I got to try out the other day, mm-hmm. which was part of our adventure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you do love to fish. I think fishing is probably your favorite thing yeah, in I've, the entire world. I could definitely just do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cooking and fishing, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was going to ask, do you have like an earliest fishing memory? Do you have... Something that made you love fishing? Um, well, I'd go with my dad when I was a little kid. God rest his soul. Um, there was a pond behind his house. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, just ride down there and fish all the time. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, just fished forever. Yeah. So I, like, I know. Can't Not remember. like one specific memory, just kind of collectively loving to fish. Yeah, collectively liking it a lot. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, as soon as I started doing it, I really liked it, but... I did catch a really big fish one time with a little tiny little Snoopy rod. It was Aww. actually green. It was a frog pole, which is very appropriate. Aww. And um, <laughs> my dad running out like knee deep in the water to get it. Like the drag was like, <laughs> <laughs> just like screaming, ripping out, trying to catch like an actual several pound fish. Mm-hmm. A little tiny rod. So yeah, that's the first one that really sticks out. Aww. It was the first big fish I caught. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I think. Us together, something that brought us together was our love for the outdoors. Definitely. I think my first memory of, like, doing something with you, before we were dating, but um, was going to the James River and just, like, playing in the water together. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah and, and, like, a lot of our friends were there, but it was it was super fun, and I'm pretty sure, I, I didn't know that you liked to fish at that point, but you had, like... Probably like 10 fishing poles with you. <laughs> I definitely took two that day. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> you got to have more than one. Yeah, I remember okay. leaving and being like, oh, I need to grab all my fishing stuff. And I yeah. went back inside and scrambled and grabbed mm-hmm. everything in my little dinky fishing book bag at that point in time. I've, yeah. I've upgraded since then. <laughs> um, something that I really liked about you then and still very much appreciate about you is that you, if, if you get a snag you work forever to get it out. Like I have not seen you just leave your line in the water. No, I mean, that's part of being outside all the time. And, uh, you know, we go to the river together still, and Mm -hmm. there's always so much junk out there. And I don't know, being a real outdoorsman and sportsman, I think you want to like, you know, really limit the amount that you actually cause negative effects i guess or mm-hmm. harm things you know yeah but it's really unfortunate to see people just leaving big balls of fishing line everywhere you know yeah or like a bunch of worm canisters that are made of plastic <laughs> yeah yeah agreed so we have had lots of outdoor adventures together um and i think one of our kind of favorite things to do is to go out in the woods Particularly, I I am very partial to um, the mountains. Like, you know, obviously I love Nelson County and uh, Nelson County, Virginia, um, where I grew up. And you really love that area, too. And we've spent a lot of time up there. Definitely. Um, Particularly on the North Fork of the Thai River. And we'll go up there and usually I'll, like, just kind of be playing in the creek and looking under rocks for, like, salamanders and critters and you'll just like like make your way through the river and be fishing. And we just went, I think two weekends ago now, um, we went up to the Thai River and yeah, I just wanted to talk about our little mini, it wasn't really a vacation, but it was a little mini adventure, you know, and it's fall. It's the best time of year. Definitely. Both of our favorite times of year for sure. Um, the colors are gorgeous. The weather is perfect. Finally not screaming hot anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go through our day. So yeah, let's start. <laughs> we're, we're at my parents' house. Do-do-do. Do-do-do. We're just <laughs> doodling around and um, probably, I don't know, what do we do at my parents' house? Probably eat like French toast or something <laughs> in the morning that my mom made. <laughs> I probably crushed a sandwich or something too. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I probably ate French toast that my mom made and you probably made like some ridiculous sandwich. And then we get in the car and we're going to drive 
way out to like the Montebello area. So this is kind of near where the Three Ridges Trail off the Appalachian Trail is. Um, and I think that's where we started our day. Definitely, yeah. We were parked right by, I guess it's the hike up to the AT. Does the mm -hmm. AT actually cross the road right there? Mm-hmm. Yep, so that is Three Ridges Trail. Okay. And so we parked over there and we went across to the Thai River um, because you wanted to trout fish. Yeah, got the new waders for Christmas last year. Haven't really used them, but mm -hmm. uh, let's go. Like I said, I finally got some wading boots, got to borrow some. So that was cool. Got to try those things on for the first time and suit up. Look like a real nerd out there. Imagine <laughs> some like... Some cool like superhero suit up music and some like <laughs> zoom ins to like James's like feet like putting on the waders and like <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot longer to put them on than that. <laughs> Maybe I need to practice some more. Not in our superhero movie that we have. Oh, I'm just gonna shout out also kind of a the walk into that trail is really cool because that footbridge is crazy. I was gonna mention the bridge. Yeah, so we went out to this bridge. Um, my brother um, Cody, also a friend of the podcast, was out there as well. And the three of us kind of just looked over. And what did we see? Yeah, they had actually just stocked that part of the river recently. I think the weekend before. Mm -hmm. But um, there were a couple of, like, rainbow trout just hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of chilling. One of them was <laughs> decent size. Yeah, he was pretty big. Yeah, the other one was a little bit chonky. But I think the other, the first one that we saw was, like, pretty big. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because, you know, as per usual, this is James's thing where he just kind of, like, goes off. He disappears, and so I will be, like, looking for birds or salamanders or whatever. Um, but Cody was there, too, and he <laughs> he tried fishing a little bit. He threw a line out, like, right beside that fish, and he that fish didn't care. He wasn't having it. He wasn't having it. <laughs> and he threw it out again, and I think he, <laughs> like, bonked him a little. He didn't mean to, but, like, it, like, touched him. Like, the lure, like, touched him, and the fish was just, like, yeah, whatever. I'm not moving. Mm -mm. Screw you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, he was used to being out in the wild yet. No, he's probably like fat from the hatchery, I was right? About to say, I'm sure he's used to having like dog food or whatever fish food they have thrown <laughs> at him at that point in time. <laughs> um, so just kind of like going along the path of our day, Cody and I were looking for birds and we saw this really cool bird. Obviously a warbler. We weren't sure what kind it was. He and I argued about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it ended up that it was a Cape May warbler, which was very cool. I had never seen one. I don't, he may have seen one before, but I had never seen one. So it was a first for me. Um, well, because birds are little. <laughs> thinks he saw one before. He's not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is a PG podcast. <laughs> I, think they, I think it's a loud word, right? I don't know. Probably do a little like over that one. <laughs> okay. That makes it sound worse though. <laughs> well, then it just leaves it up to the imagination. What, what? did he say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, just real quick about the Cape May Warbler. Do you want to know more about the Cape May Yeah, Warbler? let's go. All right. Bring it on. Eastern to Midwest U.S. is their like migration range. Um, they breed in Canada and then winter in Central America. I thought it was really funny. The All About Birds website was like, you know, there are all these sections and it's like regional differences. And a lot of times it'll say like some variations have these colorations, blah, blah, blah. This one just said none, period. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> and Cape May warblers eat by probing and like picking while they're perched. But they will also chase flying insects, which I thought was interesting because oh, we cool. saw them doing that. Yeah, totally. Um, 
Really cool fact about the Cape May Warbler. Mm -hmm. The tongue is unique among warblers. It is curled and semi-tubular, and it is used to collect nectar. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I just thought that was really, really cool. Oh, this was also really funny. Um, I'm just going to read straight off the website. The common name of the species comes from Cape May, New Jersey. Surprise. (laughs) Where Alexander Wilson first described it. After that first time, Cape May warblers were not recorded in Cape May for more than 100 years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was really cool. Um, But Cape May warblers are really, really pretty. The one that we saw was um, because their coloration varies. If you didn't listen to our episode about color morphs, then you should because color morphs are super interesting um, if you listen to that episode, you'll learn a little bit about it, but you'll also find that there's so much that we don't know. Um, but it was, it had a lot of yellow on it, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. But it also had some um, kind of a little bit of white maybe on its underside, but lots of streaking on its very breast. Very streaky, yes. Yeah, very streaky. It was very, very beautiful. Well, so that was like what Cody and I were spending our time doing while we were in the woods. And you were way on up the river. Um, well, at that point in time, yeah, I guess I had, uh, gone a little bit up the river. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, nice and rocky out there. I was still getting my sea legs on <laughs> using, uh, felt-bottomed wading boots. Those Do you are... want to talk about that real quick, felt-bottomed wading boots? Okay, yeah, so I guess there's two different kinds of wading boots. Um, you know, rubber sold would be the normal one, I guess. Um, well, I guess they're both normal. <laughs> but rubber sole is what we think of when we think of shoes and boots, right? Right. But then there were felt bottom boots and they are supposed to give you better traction in the water. And um, they really did. It helped a lot. It was, I felt invincible when I was walking around in the, on the rocks. Yeah. Um, they weren't that slick. The shoes are kind of unwieldy because they're big wading boots. They're twice as big as your normal shoes. <laughs> well, so, can you talk about like some issues? Oh, yeah. I was about to get right into that. Yeah. Um, so the wading boots, they're better. The felt is better for not slipping. But they can carry different pests and things on the boots because, you know, rubber, I guess, doesn't absorb water or Mm -hmm. materials, whereas the felt bottom can hold on to those materials or, like, actually living things. Yeah, like bacteria and other small living creatures. It doesn't seem to be an issue where we were at all. It doesn't seem like they're, like, you know, different creatures and parasites and all that kind of stuff up there. But... um, the guy who let me borrow the boots actually said he'd been fishing. There's some spots in Tennessee where the rock snot is a big problem. I think mm-hmm. that's a parasit- parasitic thing. Mm-hmm. And um, he said it was just kind of icky and gross. But that's when you need to, like disinfect your wading boots when you're done. Because if you didn't, you could potentially carry that to some of the pristine streams that we were at. You know, No invasive species. It, no invasive species. But generally, if I think if you stick around certain areas and you, you know, visit certain places over and over again... You wouldn't really have to worry about it, but if you traveled a lot and you fished a lot, you wouldn't want to be taking them from place to place. You wouldn't constantly. want to be taking them yeah. place to place to place. Yeah. Think about when you stay at a state park or something, and like they tell you not to bring your own wood. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how similar it is in that sense, but you don't want to carry things around with you everywhere you go. Yeah. You know, and introduce new species. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> That's a no-no. <laughs> I'm remembering when. Um, Cody spent a semester abroad in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the queen's going to shred your boots. <laughs> yeah. And um, we were helping him pack, and he was, like, super concerned that his boots were going to get confiscated because 
on the New Zealand like website, they are very like, do not come here with dirty <laughs> boots. Like if you have dirt on your boots, your boots will be confiscated by the crown. And we were like, oh my gosh, is the queen going to like steal his boots and shred them? <laughs> so we like spent some time like cleaning his boots and making sure they were like pristine. Because I mean, A, like we don't want to carry invasive species anywhere. And then B, like we don't, we didn't want the queen to like, steal his boots. Uh, rest her soul too. Yeah. Sorry, queen. But... Yeah. <laughs> now Charles is going to steal some boots, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's Charles's job now. <laughs> He's sitting in New Zealand with a boot shredder. <laughs> Camilla needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay, so then we left that trail. Yeah, no luck, no dice in the fishing that day. Mm -hmm. remember, but. but the bird was super cool, and um, there were like... So we only mentioned the two rainbow trout that we saw there, but there were like a ton of other fish there as well. There were a bunch of like chubs and yeah, just like so many fish. It was really cool. Um, so anyway, but yeah, they they weren't biting, obviously. Um, so we moved on to the so that was just on the Thai River, I guess, and then we moved on to the North Fork of the Thai right. River, um, and that that place in particular is really near and dear to my heart. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff up there. Um, the water up there is so cold. I mean, year round, it's cold. Like I've tried to make you go swimming up there with me. <laughs> it's gotta be like 105 degrees. It really does water. because it's, something else. Cause it's gonna be 10 degrees cooler up there. Cause you're way in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. And the water is like mountain spring water. It is freezing cold. It's really cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, even on a hot day, it's still pretty cold. So it was very cold. So good thing you had your waders. But we went up there, and then what happened? Okay. So the part of the river we were at earlier in the day, um, it was kind of it was a rocky bottom, bigger, wider. It was out of the mountains. So it was flatter, you know, more open stream. But where we were on the North Fork, the stream's a lot smaller, obviously, because it's a fork of what turns into be a bigger river. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of pools and then drop-offs and pools and drop-offs and, like, bigger boulders and stuff up there. Mm -hmm. So the terrain is way different. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, wading around up there, it's, um, it's more like you're hiking between separate pools at different elevations, like, in the stream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I bet it probably drops, like, 15 or 20 feet. Like every twenty yards, I'd imagine. It's twenty it's a, or thirty yards. It's yeah, steep. It, it is. I mean, you are really up in the mountains up there. Yeah, you literally park all, like on the side of the road, and it's just like a drop down mm -hmm. the river there. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, just like we had seen the warbler eating the bugs earlier in the day. You know, chasing bugs around, which is really cool. Um, there were so many things hatching up there that day. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. The amount of, like, I guess caddisflies were everywhere. Oh, my gosh. And I think I spent most of my time looking at caddisflies. Um, Case-building caddisflies, which, again, we have a whole episode about caddisflies. Mm -hmm. Caddisflies are fascinating. Um, and, yeah, these were all the case-building. And they were just picking up the most beautiful little pebbles. Mm -hmm. And their cases were super colorful. I took some videos of them walking around and their little bodies like coming out a little bit. So cool to see. And I think the coolest thing that I found, I, well, I mean, we all saw it, um, were the caddisfly cases. And so when they 
do their like final um, when they like pupate, I guess they will attach to a rock or something sturdy and like cover themselves completely up. And that's where they'll pupate and come out eventually. But there were rocks with just like, I mean, like dozens of these little caddis-like cases on them. They were covered in rocks. Covered in it. Yeah. It almost, it kind of looked like a bunch of macaroni noodles. (laughs) Little Rocky macaroni. (laughs) Yeah. Rocky macaroni. It's definitely a whole grain pasta. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're very like gray. (laughs) Um, Or it kind of looked like a wasp nest or something. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 That was just like, that was really, really cool. But they were just... I mean, they were all over the bottom of the creek up there. So that was really cool. So anybody familiar with fishing at all, I guess they've heard the term uh, match the hatch is what mm-hmm. people say, I guess. Right. So it wasn't that hard to figure out <laughs> what to put on the end of the line that day. Yeah. And what does that mean? I mean, it sounds pretty self-explanatory, but. It is. But uh, yeah. So if there's a bunch of caddisflies hatching that day, what are the fish going to be eating? Mm-hmm. You're going to want to mimic what the fish are going to be eating. Yeah. Specifically with trout, I think it's a, uh, it's a bigger bigger deal i think bass are more like you know aggressive predators to hitting things like they'll, they'll hit things aggressively they don't necessarily want to eat everything mm-hmm. you know if you're bass fishing or certain yeah. other kinds of fish but um the trout that they need to eat all the time they're in a little stream and they're voracious predators is what people say mm-hmm. so they need to go for it all the time especially when they're spawning which is really interesting that we have mm-hmm. to um I don't want to spoil it, but I guess I'll spoil it. I caught a trout that day. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> so um, I'm sure they need to gorge themselves even more before they, you know, yeah. start hatching little baby trout and laying eggs and doing all that kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Where are we <laughs> Matching the hatch. Match the hatch. And then, yeah, I think the next thing that did happen, um, I feel like, again, Cody and I, like, wandered off to either look at caddisflies or something or chase a bird sound. And then we heard you be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The pool that we were at was super close to the road because the road mm-hmm. is right by the, the uh, creek. It kind of has to up there because you're in the little valley. But um, yeah, the first big pool I got to um, caught my first trout. You almost immediately caught your first trout. Well, first native trout on the fly rod. Right. And yes. yeah, well, I was going to say first of the day and first native trout on the fly rod. And so, oh, sorry, I'm stepping on you. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I stepped, stepped on, on it. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so James, okay, just segue. James and I love terrible things. Things <laughs> such as the show Finding Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, I had a response and you stepped on it. I had a response and you stepped on it. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but yeah, the hit the cast fly pa- pattern. It was a they were in the a bigger pool right off the road. And, um, yeah, Jenna had luck in all the bigger pools that day. They weren't, like, you know, hanging out any riffles or anything. But um, it was beautiful. It was actually a pretty big, you know, brook trout for that section of the stream. Um, what do you think it was? Maybe seven inches long? Yeah. Seven or eight? Yeah. James is looking at his hand um, for a <laughs> reference. So put your hand out, folks. <laughs> yeah, a little bit longer than that. Yeah. We're assuming all of our hands are the <laughs> same size. The exact size. same size. <laughs> <laughs> But it was beautiful. It was it was absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, they're about to spawn, so they start to develop all their like spots and all the colors get really really vibrant in this time of year. I had no idea that they didn't get very big. Um, they can get bigger, but but not very much bigger. Th- specifically in a stream like that, that's a lot smaller. They're not going to get that big. So what's the biggest they can get? Ooh, let's see. Do I have that down in my notes? The biggest brook trout 
or Patadromus? Oh, okay. Yeah, I read about that. Okay, so that means they are in a lake and they spawn in the tributaries. Mm -hmm. So this specifically says the ones in Lake Superior can get up to six to seven pounds. Whoa! <laughs> so that's a lot bigger than uh, okay. what we saw, obviously. Okay, well, then I just lied to everyone. But I, but like you said, the ones around us don't get that big. Yeah, but when we're talking about, like, other types of trout, you know, like brown trout, I know in the state, I've, let's see, I don't have, I didn't do a lot of brown trout research. I did more brook trout and rainbow trout research. Um, but rainbow trout, like steelhead trout are a type of rainbow trout that are anadromous, and they get huge. Like, And, and what does anadromous mean? Anadromous means they go from salt water to fresh water mm-hmm. and back and forth to spawn. Yeah, like like sturgeon and sturgeon, um, um, striped bass, striped bass do it. Yeah, not to be confused with catadromous, which goes from fresh water to salt water to spawn, like the American eel. Ah, yes, mm-hmm. those are cool. <laughs> they are cool. We should do an episode on eels. Uh, yeah, I would. I guess you can, like, catch eels in the river, too. I'd mm-hmm. love to see one out there doing this thing. And actually, one of our educators, when I worked at Maymont, he was like, oh, we caught an eel. And April and I both were like, secretly, we don't believe you. <laughs> and then he showed us a video that he had taken. And we are like, oh, snap, you did catch an eel. That's cool. Um, so they're around. I think they're they're around more than, than we know. Absolutely. But. And also, like, just kind of segueing from the eel here. Um, lamprey come up the river. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are crazy. Yeah. So they look kind of like an eel, like shape-wise, but mm-hmm. those are the parasitic fish. Yeah. They've got some nasty little mouths on them. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, they don't uh, they catch like, to people. They <laughs> yeah. have demogorgon mouths. They really do. Yeah. Okay, well, I've really thrown us off. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear all about, all about everything that you learned about. Okay. So catching the trout was really cool, and it was a really fun experience. Mm-hmm. I'll go with that. Um, and again, I said earlier that they are voracious predators. And it was really interesting. One of the trout I caught, he had hit a caddisfly um, fly that I'd thrown out. Mm-hmm. And when I was, I took the hook out of his mouth and put him back in the water. Also, if you ever handle a trout, you should keep your hands wet or mm-hmm. um, try to keep them in like a wet net or something like that. Um, you don't want to rub all the slime off of them on the outside. I don't know the, the word for the slime. Yeah, I don't know the word for the slime either. But all fish have it, but I think mm-hmm. they're a little bit more delicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, if we're trying to take care of a native trout that are being out-competed um, in a lot of places by, you know, the introduced rainbow trout and stuff, mm-hmm. um, you want to take good care of them. So yeah. don't rub all the slime off the fish because they need that to protect themselves. But um, anyway... After catching the guy and getting the hook out of his mouth, I put him back in the water, and I guess the shock of being caught, he coughed up his lunch, I guess, and he coughed up a couple of caddisflies. Oh, that's right. I yeah, forgot so you was, told me that. That was yeah. really cool. So he, they were, like, gorging themselves. Yeah. So the fishing was a little bit easy, because we weren't there for, like, half an hour, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think I caught four of them, pretty much. Yeah. Any, anywhere I thought there would be a fish, they were there. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool, because watching them rise up, and they... If you see, like, you know, a brim or a bass, like, um, hitting topwater stuff, I think more of us are going to have seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, like, they aggressively attack what they're going for. Mm-hmm. But the trout kind of slowly come up and, I don't know what the best way to put it, they just, like, take it. I was going to say, you can, like, make sound effects. Yeah. Glub, glub. <laughs> it's not, like, splash. <laughs> it's not violent. It's just uh-huh. kind of. 
plop. It's like a, a like they pop it. They like uh-huh. barely get their little mouth up. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, it was just really cool watching them do that. Even when I wasn't catching the fish, it was just beautiful being up there. The scenery is incredible. The fish are really cute doing their thing. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful catching them. And there were so many caddisflies out there. Like, if you looked up and where the sun was coming through the trees, it was just almost like, I don't know, it looked fuzzy. There were just so many bugs flying around everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. it was like uh, the opposite of spring when everything's awakening, I guess, because it's the fall. Oh, everything's going to bed. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Not everything's going to bed, but it's just the opposite time of year. And right. when, usually we think about things like starting to die out or something you know or like uh everything getting grayer yeah everything was really just going crazy it was like this is a really good segue um to something that i wanted to talk about real quick so while you were doing this i'm flipping over rocks Mm -hmm. and i'm looking for what salamanders salamanders and i found one i found a little baby salamander and i was trying to figure out what kind of salamander it was and i'm Really not completely sure, um, but I'm, it was some kind of brook salamander. So it was probably either a northern two-lined. It could have been a southern two-lined. I'm thinking it was northern two-lined. But they breed in swift-flowing, like, rocky woodland creeks most frequently. So basically, like, where we were. That checks out. Yeah. <laughs> but something I thought was really interesting was that certain species of salamanders do, like, basically hatch out around this time of year, which I found really interesting mm-hmm. since they are amphibians. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't think about them hatching out right now, but salamanders, uh, like mole salamanders, so mm-hmm. um, like marbled salamanders especially, um, are one of the examples that I found on, I, I was doing some research on the National Parks website, and they were talking about how marbled salamanders will um, emerge from the soil in the fall, they'll lay their eggs outside of the water on areas that are likely to become flooded, which is so fascinating to me. That's really cool. That they can know <laughs> which areas are probably going to become flooded by, like, fall and winter rains, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so they'll lay their eggs on these, like, dry areas, and the eggs will develop outside of the water. Um, but as, like, fall and winter rains start happening... They submerge, and then the larvae hatch out. Whoa. Yeah. So it's, like, not uncommon to find salamander larvae of that type around this time of year. Okay. So um, what what I found, like, definitely would not have been a marbled salamander because they like to breed around, like, vernal pools, like, seasonal pools, and um, more, like, wetlandy kind of areas. But I just thought that was really, really interesting. Um Ambistoma, that's what I couldn't think of. So mole salamanders are ambistoma. And they are only one of two species of ambistoma that will do this. And they are the only species of ambistoma that will amb- ambistoma. Words are hard. It doesn't matter. It's my podcast. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> they are the only species of ambistoma to exhibit parental care. Um to their young. So, so they protect their young after they're born? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's really, really interesting. Um, and, oh, and the other thing is they always breed in fish-free wetlands. So obviously we were not in a fish-free area. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so different habitat. Um, and like I said, not what 
I was seeing, but just thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of salamanders, so I guess a couple of ridges over from the North Fork of the Tie where we were, I had gone out with your brother, Cody, mm -hmm. again, friend of the podcast, <laughs> um, a couple of weeks before to Shoe Creek, right off the Piney River. Mm -hmm. And we looked for salamanders for a little bit up there, only a few minutes, but we found so many. Yeah. And they weren't in the stream bed. Yeah. They were just outside of the stream bed under some like barely wet, mostly dry rocks. And the one that I found still had gills and it was like, like, you know, in the stream. And so the ones that you found were adults, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, speaking of handling salamanders, um, we talked about the trout earlier, how you should have mm -hmm. wet hands and stuff. We should avoid trying to handle salamanders, right? Yeah, Generally. Absolutely. Any amphibians, yeah. Yep. Look, don't touch. Look, don't touch. Yep. But uh, definitely don't do it with dry hands. That's a, a big one. That's a big no-no. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, we have so much stuff on our hands that we don't realize. Did you put lotion on today? <laughs> Did you wash your hands with some kind of like antibacterial soap or put on hand sanitizer or blah, 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 yada, yada, yada? Whatever. Sunscreen. They don't want any of these things. <laughs> they don't want these things on their skin. They sure don't. <laughs> Boz Lerman wants you to put sunscreen on, but guess really what? Does. The salamanders don't want it. <laughs> yeah, the fish and the salamanders don't want our sunscreen. No, they don't. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, let's dive into the trout thing now. We've talked about our experience with it mm -hmm. and how cool it was seeing them. Um, so, I guess we're highlighting the brook trout here. Salvinus Fontanalis. That's my best uh, Latin. Oh, yeah. You sound like the guy from... <laughs> from the Frog... Uh... From the Virginia Herp Society website. <laughs> we talked about him extensively. Formerly Bufo. Bufo Americanus. <laughs> Me. <laughs> that wasn't right. <laughs> but, yeah, the brook trout is Virginia's native trout. Sorry. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to Virginia's practice. Virginia's native trout. I'm going to have to practice my toad call and just do it a lot during Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, the brook trout is it's found in the U.S. Great Lakes, the general northeast um, up into Canada, and all the way down to Georgia following the Appalachian or Appalachian Mountains? Oh, come on. What kind of question is this? <laughs> Hey, y'all, it's Appalachian, and don't try to tell me otherwise. But it's Appalachia, right? It's Appalachia. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we were we heard somebody talk about this on TV the other night, so. <laughs> A little oh, slice of life there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're generally, like, you know, going to be in the cooler mountain streams and stuff. Um, I guess there are lake-locked ones so we talked about the patadromous ones mm -hmm. um i know when we were in maine at acadia national park i did catch a brook trout up there in one of the lakes mm, that's right mm -hmm. and um, the color was way different because they weren't spawning at that point in time mm -hmm. um but that was a lake locked trout um but they are all the same i guess species at that point in time they're just um regionally different i mm -hmm. believe yeah that makes sense um but all of these fish, all of these little trout guys we're talking about, the brook trout, um, brown trout are in Virginia, and rainbow trout are in Virginia, they're all part of the family Salminidae. Oh, let's see. Hold on. Hey, babe, it's my podcast. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> they're all the salmon family. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I think brook trout are, are char. That's what they are. Yeah. Really are. Mm -hmm. um, so all the salvelinus um, fish are char. Mm -hmm. um, the rainbow trout would be part of. Uh, here we go. An on Corinthus. Well, I can't read your hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. On, yeah, on Corinthus. On Corinthus. Micus, but they're not a true char at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So, and they are from like the western region of the U.S. Correct. Yes, rainbow they. Trout. So the rainbow trout are native to Pacific Coast. Mm -hmm. um, I guess Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. uh, Canada, Alaska, and actually Russia. They're found oh. in Kamchatka. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And maybe, well, you said you didn't do much brown trout research, but they're a European fish, right? Yes, they're a Eurasian trout. Um, Eurasian, okay. I did do a little bit there. Um, actually, their range extends. It's pretty huge. It's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. um, they're found in Iceland. Okay. Um, but it extends from Iceland all the way I guess eastward all the way to Afghanistan and Pakistan. Oh, wow. Okay. And their northernmost range would be Norway and Russia. Mm -hmm. So really up up high in Europe and Eurasia, um, down to the Atlas Mountains in North Africa. Oh, wow. So all of these fish, like, span of, you know, I guess the rainbow trout and the brown trout span more than one continent. That's crazy. It really is. Yeah, that's really cool. And these are... The trout we think of in Virginia, of course, because they're only three we have here. But there are so many different species. I didn't realize how many different species of trout there are. Yeah. There's so many. Mm -hmm. And they're everywhere. They're all over the world. Yeah. <laughs> but the rainbow trout specifically has been introduced all over the world for sport fishing. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess I'll talk a little bit about the brook trout and then we'll, you know, switch over to rainbow trout here. Okay. Um, we'd already talked about the... Patadromus trout. Those are the ones that are lakes. We talked about the lake locked ones, but they're ones like Superior Patadromus, mm -hmm. and they're called coasters. Okay. There's all kinds of different names for all these different parts of the brook trout uh, experience. <laughs> and the salters are anadromous brook trout. Mm -hmm. So there's coasters, salters, and I guess this is the normal guys. Okay. <laughs> but the salters, um, they, from like New Jersey to Canada, there was a population of brook trout that would go from the ocean to freshwater to spawn. Mm -hmm. I don't think they do that in New Jersey anymore just because mm. of people. And uh, yeah. they probably don't exist anymore. Don't quote me on that. But um, I think in doing my research, that, does, that doesn't happen anymore. Mm. Um, the, we were talking about size earlier. The record brook trout is 14 and a half pounds. Oh, wow. Caught in 1916 by a doctor in Ontario. Let's, like, put that into perspective because I think it might be kind of hard to – Imagine that. So, what, three bags of sugar? Yeah, three five-pound bags of sugar. That's what, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a small um, one. Is that helpful for anyone? It's <laughs> helpful for me. Um, I don't know. If you... Uh, I bet our cat probably weighs close to that. Gosh, yeah, he's a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> but still, that's a, yeah. that's a lot of weight there. Yeah. A really big baby. <laughs> <laughs> a really big baby. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, brook trout, so that's their native range and just kind of um, what they're dealing with here. But they're invasive in Yellowstone. I, mm. I was, you know, in doing this research, we were talking about the brook trout being native, the rainbow trout being introduced. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that the brook trout can be invasive elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and brook trout 
Are they the only native trout here in Virginia? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I don't think there's any other one that was like in the fossil record before them or anything like that. I think, mm -hmm. I think they're the ones. Cool. I think they're the dominant, like, you know, trout species on in our area of the East Coast, mm -hmm. you know? Did you, like, describe what they look like? I, you talked about their, like, spotted um, sides a little bit. But... Yeah, they developed these, these really, like, orangey-pink spots on their side for the spawning season. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was way more brightly colored than I was mm -hmm. imagining that it would be. I did be. catch a, a smaller one, mm -hmm. um, and he still had some of his, like, vertical stripes on it, kind of yeah. like yellowish and green. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're kind of greenish colored. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. They're really, really pretty fish. Yeah. Really, um, really. If pretty. you think of a salmon, you might think of like some of the West Coast salmon or something that have like the, like the big hook looking mouth. It's not like that. And um, I guess the rainbow trout have kind of a broader, flatter looking head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I don't know. The brook trout are really pretty. They're kind of. They're kind of stylish looking, if that makes any they sense. They are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They got a nice look to them. <laughs> it's a good looking they fish. They do. <laughs> <laughs> they don't look as derpy as some of the other trout. I'll put it so that way. I was going to say, trout do look kind of derpy. They just kind of have those like silly little eyes and mm -hmm. very like smooth head or something. Yes. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. This was really, really pretty. Mm-hmm. Um... So also in the state of Virginia, we actually have a fourth kind of trout mm. that I did not mention because it's a hybrid form of trout. Oh. It is the tiger trout. Oh, I think I read about these too. Okay, so that's the hybrid of the brown trout and the brook trout. But the specifically, it has to be mm -hmm. a male brook trout and a female brown trout. Uh -huh. And I guess you call what male brook trout? produce is would be milt okay interesting new word there yeah fish milt to fertilize the brown trout eggs mm -hmm. um so in the wild it's not super successful all the time that this happens mm -hmm. um because brook trout have 84 chromosomes and brown trout have 80 chromosomes wow and sometimes it works i think they're sterile mm -hmm. i think i read that yeah and i was reading that I think the Department of Wildlife Resources has a breeding program that they're trying to breed tiger trout for like sport fishing because they are sterile. And so they're thinking that they're not going to like harm wild populations. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, so going right into that, there's about a 5% success rate of them being, I guess, born <laughs> uh -huh. in the wild. But in breeding programs, they heat shock the eggs. And by doing that, it creates an extra set of chromosomes in the brown trout. What? Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. So that ups the success rate to 85%. I'm like flabbergasted. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. And like, who figured this out? I have no idea. This is this incredible. Is, this is what smart people do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what smart fish people do. <laughs> they figure out you can flash eat an egg. Dang, that's really cool. It is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So they're highly sought after game fish. Yeah. Because they're really weird and rare. Yeah. Do they look cool? Um, they do look kind of cool. Uh-huh. Um, Actually, are, th are they the ones? Yeah, I think I looked them up. Because <laughs> I think they're on the DWR website. They and are. It, and it's like 
this is a tiger trout named for the tiger-like patterns on its eye. And I'm like, dude, you don't know what a tiger is <laughs> because leopards aren't tigers, my friend. Mm -mm. It's like a leopard pattern, I would say. I think they have like a stripy pattern on them. They're kind of kind of like blotchy, like like leopard print. It's bigger and blockier, I think. But Y'all, look it up. You there, tell us. Um, there are leopard trout, though. I'm not thinking of a leopard trout. But I'm saying, telling you, there, there are <laughs> leopard trout, which is the opposite, I guess, of a tiger trout. That would be hmm. a male brown trout milt and female brook trout eggs. Hmm. But they can only exist under lab conditions. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. because the brook trout milt can fertilize the brown trout eggs, uh -huh. but the brown trout milt is generally too large uh -huh. to fit into the very tiny eggs uh -huh. of the brook trout. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Cool. But um, let's see. The tiger trout, let's see, Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Georgia, Idaho, Pennsylvania, Washington, Utah, Massachusetts, they all work to actually stock these fish. Okay. Virginia doesn't actively try to stock them. Mm-hmm. Okay. At least not yet. Yeah. Um, because supposedly... They grow faster. Mm -hmm. They're piscivorous. Oh, okay. So that means they eat fish. fish yeah. yeah. So generally, we're talking about the brook trout eating, you know, all these different bugs and stuff. Mm -hmm. But these guys focus a lot more on fish. Okay, that's interesting. And specifically, they cite that they eat more rough fish. So rough fish were fish that you don't catch for sport. Okay. Generally, you don't. Mm -hmm. So like minnow species and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, I was going to say minnows. So the more of those that are being eaten, the more biomass that will be a sport fish. Okay. So it's a, it's a tourist thing, really, that this, people want to go out there and catch more sport fish. This reminds me of like a horror movie where you're like breeding <laughs> humans in a lab and the only thing they want to eat is other humans. <laughs> <laughs> Their brains are obsessed ah! with other fish. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. That's really cool. So yeah, there's only a couple places in Virginia that have them, I believe. Okay. I think, um, don't quote me, I was actually talking to my coworker, he'll me borrow the stuff, and he was talking about how he had never caught one, but he specifically went out to, I believe, the Rose River, that's near the, um, what's the, what's the, the big hike? Um, okay. Oh, Old, old rag. rag. Old Rag, yeah. yeah, as soon as you said it, Old Rag. <laughs> um, I guess that area of the state is where okay. they're naturally occurring. Oh, interesting. I guess not naturally, just a brown trout were introduced, but right. they happen in the wild. Up there. That's crazy. So him being yeah. an avid trout fisherman in the past, like, is proof that he specifically went up there to try to catch these things. Yeah, like, okay. People go for it. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, that's really cool that they exist here, and the crimson thing is absolutely wild. I, yeah, I'm... I wish everybody could have seen my face. My, my jaw was like, what? <laughs> Science is cool. Science is cool. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the brook trout and the tiger trout. And the big stocking initiative, when we talk about all these different trout, um, generally applies to rainbow trout, specifically here, you know, mm -hmm. in the United States. Um, we talked about them being, they're not native anywhere on the East Coast, um, really. Mm -hmm. um, they're different species, specifically. Yeah. Same family. Mm -hmm. um, There's a, a really interesting book that I came across when I was doing my research. is by Anders Halverson. I, okay. I guess he's a if he's American, he's Anders. I guess, but I'll, we'll go with Anders. We're gonna go with Anders. Yeah, with the last name like Halverson. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, it's an entirely synthetic fish. How rainbow trout beguiled America and overran the world. <gasps> beguiled. Beguiled. I like that. <laughs> I had to write it down and get that book of shout because it seems really cool. Yeah. I'm about to buy it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just highlights how trout have just been stocked everywhere as a sport fish mm-hmm. and how it completely kind of, kind of turned the world on its head on like how you can introduce a species just for sport. And at first it was just for sport. It was not a conservation thing at all. Mm-hmm. And um, so with that being said, they really didn't care if the trout were out competing native fish. And yeah, that's interesting. It ruined ecosystems. Interestingly enough, yeah. the Sierra Club started stocking all the West Coast lakes. Initially. Really? Yeah. Huh. So a group we think of for conservation purposes, right. all these things, they were like responsible for like, yeah, like there's like, I don't know about the West Coast, but some of the places on the East Coast, there are like trout that have gone extinct. Oh my gosh! Because the rainbow trout have outcompeted them. Wow. Specifically, a lot of a lot of like the lake lot trout in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but this movement, this is also so super crazy. This movement to start stocking all these trout, uh-huh. it's kind of gained momentum around the Civil War times, a little bit before, I believe, that um, was the rise of industrialization in America. Uh-huh. The East Coast was full of these bigger cities. Mm-hmm. And all these men were getting weak. <laughs> they weren't doing all these outdoor things anymore. Yeah. They spent too much time in the city. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. So people were saying that people need to get outdoors more. People need to get outdoors more to, like, really boost the testosterone. Yeah, you know? buff up a little buff bit. Buff up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, uh, the industrialization just kind of really took off. Yeah. With the advent of trains and all these other things after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, guys, James is a history nerd. I am a history nerd. you couldn't tell. Yeah, I'm going to bring a little different spin to this podcast here. <laughs> Let's talk about some boring history stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. But <laughs> it specifically said um, after the American Industrial Revolution – American men were becoming, quote, soft. They were spending too much time indoors doing white-collar jobs and reading. <laughs> what a bunch of nerds. I know. Get outside. Do One me. of the guys was the proponent of men getting outdoors said men were doing too much reading. <laughs> and this was, quote, this is a direct quote. It was creating an effeminate nation. People were losing their hunger for adventure and exploration. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's what They're makes a real so, man. <laughs> that's a vomitous sentence. And over time, this would undermine the principles on which our nation was founded. It you got to really be familiar. a man, everybody. Uh, you got to be a man. Uh, yeah, it's I'll gross. Make a man out of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to be a man. No. You can be whatever you want. But you should still go outside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We're, we're for that part. Yeah, you know, the rest of it, let let it make you a better person. Then, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Not, not a better man, you know. Oh god, so <laughs> gross. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, that was the big initiative, specifically on the East Coast. All these stocking programs. That's so wild. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I never knew. No, me neither. Mm-mm. Um, the West Coast is a different story. Okay. The West Coast is more utilitarian. Mm-hmm. These there are a lot of these lakes in the Sierra Nevada specifically mm-hmm. um, didn't really have a lot of fish in them and stuff. Interesting. So when people were mining out there, they needed fish to eat. Right. Um, okay. And also people were bored. Hmm. So um, these trout that were being bred on the East Coast um, for the stocking movement with the advent of trains and the Transcontinental Railroad and all these things, mm-hmm. um, you could ship fertilized trout eggs across the country now. Yeah. 
So people were literally, at a certain point in time, anyone could request by Telegram mm-hmm. um, drought eggs. Interesting. And the Department of the Interior, I believe, would just send you drought eggs. Hmm. So they were shipping them out west and people were just <laughs> dumping them in lakes and stuff out there. It's crazy. Here's all these species <laughs> that aren't native. Just, nope. just take them. <laughs> and there was an anecdote from, I think, the California Fish and Wildlife. Uh-huh. And um, one of the guys was like, oh, yeah. It was like they, they would ask for brown trout or they would ask for brook trout to stock. Mm-hmm. But the sorting facility, they would just like slap a label on it and send it. Oh wow! And because people don't know what they're getting when they're just little eggs whatever. in a jar. Yeah. yeah, they were just were sending everything. Wow! So that's why there's all these different stock things all over the, you know, Sierra Nevadas and the Rockies now. Because mm. um, it was just a super inefficiently ran program. Nobody cares. It's like an ecological nightmare. <laughs> it's an ecological nightmare. Yeah. Uh, the term beguiled America. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Rainbow Trout did really beguile America, didn't it? <laughs> oh. Yeah, but the. Everything they shipped in were glass milk jugs. <laughs> yeah. And that's still pretty much how trout are stocked today. Like, you literally have to, like, take the trout and squeeze the milk or the eggs out of it. Uh-huh. Just manually, you know, squeeze into the jar and let it go. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's how they still generally ship them and move them and stuff. In these, like, milk jars. I'm not the You're hatcher not fish here. biologist. I'm not the fish biologist, but they're online. It's like, nothing's really changed that much. That's the process is the same. How we move these things around is essentially the same. Hey, you know what? That's beguiling. <laughs> it's a little, I guess so. <laughs> it's a little beguiling to me. <laughs> but two names here: George Marsh and Spencer Bard were the two mm-hmm. guys who were really responsible for getting the stocking movement started over here. Okay. Well, I hope they were super buff people and feel <laughs> proud of themselves. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so yeah, another rainbow trout everywhere. They all competed a lot of the. Mm. Uh, brook trout here in Virginia, and mm-hmm. of course they're they're still being stocked in a lot of streams. Where we were on the lower part of the Ty River, yeah, um, we saw the freshly stocked trout, yeah, mm-hmm. but they are not stocked in the upper part of the river, the North Fork we were at. Mm-hmm. So the Virginia is trying really hard to keep certain areas as protective, yeah, protected native streams. Yeah, um, for anybody who's interested, there's a really interesting map online if you go to the Virginia Department of Wildlife. What, DWR? Yeah, Wildlife Resources. Wildlife Resources. It used used to be something, yeah, it used to be DGIF, but now it is DWR. Right, so so it's still a little bit confusing, getting used to it. Yeah. But they have a GIS website, and it lists trout streams and stock trout lakes all around the state of Virginia. It's interactive. It's really, really easy to use. It's a really cool map. It's a really cool map. And for anybody interested in any of these things, you can see if there's... A native trout stream right down the road from you. You, mm-hmm. can, you know, just click on the stream and it'll tell you what's going on. Yeah. So it's really cool. Yeah. Where to from here? Well, while you were catching your little trout, mm-hmm. I was still looking for insects and bugs and just any critters, you know, because in case y'all didn't know, I want to see all the critters. Um, and... I saw a caterpillar floating in the water, on top of the water, and I could tell immediately it was one I didn't want to touch. <laughs> but, of course, like, I can't let this little thing suffer and be in the water, so... You probably would have been blasted by a trout pretty quick. Yeah, maybe so, <laughs> but I just, I wanted to help it out, and so I took a leaf and, like, 
like snags it up, like scooped under it. And Cody was like, don't touch it. Don't touch that one. And I was like, I know I'm not. And so I like scooped it up and set it on a rock. Um, and it was super cool. And it was a sycamore tussock moth caterpillar. And you got to see it, right? Yeah. He was the white one with like little like orangey uh-huh. yellow little like. Almost like little horns. Little, like little horns, yeah. And it's got like a little pink face kind mm-hmm. of. Um, super, super cute. They do cause hives if the hairs touch you because I think they can kind of like break off into your skin. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just another really cool critter that we saw. I did a little, a very little bit of reading about them. Um, I think they're part of like the, they're related to like tiger moths. They can like decimate sycamore trees, but if we have a healthy ecosystem, they mm-hmm. really don't because birds keep them in check. Basically. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely pretty bright. You couldn't miss them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> super, super bright white. Really, really pretty. Um, yeah. Also kind of meanwhile, um, so I'm looking for critters, but another thing that you and I really love to do is forage for mushrooms. Mm-hmm. We're really careful about foraging for mushrooms and we really only forage um, a very like few specific kinds that we're completely certain we know what they are. Um, obviously that's really important anytime you forage for anything. You also want to make sure you're not like taking all of whatever you find, right? Have other people have the opportunity to find it and you want it to still live there. Yeah. If you take the entire thing, it's obviously not going to be able to, it's not going to be sustainable, right? It's not going to like reproduce and. Well, I'm sure in some other podcasts, you've probably talked about the fact that people have ruined a lot of things by over harvesting. No, we've never talked about Hmm. that. (laughs) (laughs) That's another reason why uh, the brook trout was a little bit threatened in some parts of the state for a while, because people were literally like catching buckets of them and salting them for the winter. Like, Yeah. yeah. So, just really quick, I kind of wanted to tell you a little bit about mushrooms. Yeah, let's go. Since we're sitting under our little toadstool right now. <laughs> we love mushrooms, by the way. We love mushrooms. We love looking for them. We love looking at them. We love eating them. We love, I love drawing pictures of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mushrooms are just really cool. And I kind of knew about how mushrooms help sustain forest, but I don't think I really knew that much about it. Do you know about this at all? Um, the, what's it called? Is the mycorrhizae? So it's called mycorrhiza. My, mycorrhiza, okay. Just, Again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's it's my podcast. I keep saying it's my podcast. It's mine and April's podcast. It's y'all's podcast. It's our podcast, but she's not here right now. Yeah. So I'm just taking ownership, <laughs> but I, April... I know you're listening to this. I miss you. (laughs) We'll be together again soon. (laughs) Um, So this relationship is called mycorrhiza. Um, And real quick, just about mushrooms. um, Scientists estimate that the number of fungi species is in the millions. So we don't even know like how many, but it's estimated to be somewhere in the millions. They're all over the place. All over the place. Um, I think only 140,000 of them have been described, and there are over 14,000 mushroom-producing fungi. So do you know what a mushroom is? Um, Is that the fruit of the fungus? It is. So the mushroom is the fruiting body of 
um, the mycelium. Okay. Um, so that's the fruiting body because that's where like the spores. I was come about from. to say, yeah. Mm -hmm. of yep. So this is like how they reproduce. Um, so yeah, this relationship between plants and fungi is called mycorrhiza. And it's basically when the fungus like invades root systems and it does this to help the fungi survive and absorb nutrients mm -hmm. from the trees. Um, but it is mutually beneficial because the trees also absorb nutrients from the fungi. 90% of land plants rely on mycorrhizal fungi for mineral nutrients. Okay. So during winter and times of reduced sunlight, when plants are producing little to no nutrients, they really depend on this relationship yeah, um, on fungi and the sugars and nitrogen compounds that they absorb from the soil. Um, it's also important for really young trees and like highly shaded areas of forest mm -hmm. to get nutrients this way because they can't get sunlight. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The understory plants. The understory plants. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. And if you've ever heard of like trees talking to each other, this is what this is referencing because, um, in a forest ecosystem, there are hub trees. So those are like the biggest oldest trees in the forest. They're also called mother trees. Mm -hmm. And so they really do like take care of these understory plants by using this mycorrhizal relationship. So um, they're basically like the, like the big city or like the main colony of the forest because they're supporting so much of this life, right? I mean, they're literally like the mothers of the forest. Mm -hmm. They have the most fungal connections. Um, so the mycelium absorbs, and when I say mycelium, that's like the the fungus like root system right. underneath. So this is like all the stuff that we can't see that's like attached to these plant roots. So these mother trees send and receive like warning signals when certain trees might be like under threat of like parasites or if certain areas are nutrient deficient or whatever, these trees can basically like through these mycorrhizal relationships send out like extra nutrients and water to these plants that might be in danger. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, these mother trees also have like super deep roots so that they can reach like really deep water sources and pass those on to younger trees too. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. When you like dig a hole in the woods mm -hmm. and you see like this like white web looking like material in the dirt. I would imagine so. Yeah, I would imagine that's what that is. I would um, assume that's what it is too. I was just trying to think of like a tangible mm -hmm. example of that. Oh yeah, 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 totally. There are different types of mushrooms, obviously. And I mean, not only do they help with this, like, I mean, really like hold forest ecosystems together, but they literally like provide soil structure and then, you know, decompose leaf litter and other things in the forest. Right. Um, and so some examples of mycorrhizal fungi are boletes, mm -hmm. chanterelles, truffles, and morels. Okay. All yummy. Yes. <laughs> um, but they're also saprobic fungi, which like are the ones that you're going to find on like dead wood. Oh, those are like decomposing fungus. Those are the decomposing ones that you will find on like a dead log. Mm -hmm. So do you have an example of a saprobic mushroom? Uh, the oyster mushroom. That we oyster mushrooms. Um, chicken of the woods. Mm -hmm. It's another really good example. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. Now I really went down 
a rabbit hole. And there, I mean, there's so much more. Like, it's so fascinating. I Maybe we could do like a whole episode on mushrooms at some point because there's just, there's so much. And it's, it's so cool. Um, but on my rabbit hole journey, I started looking up ghost pipes. Do you know what ghost pipes are? And those We saw those at Shoe Creek, that place I was talking about that I went to with mm -hmm. Cody. Um, they're a parasitic plant, right? They're a parasitic plant. They're an example of what we would call mycoheterotrophy. So they get all or at least some of their food through parasitism on fungi rather than through photosynthesis. So these are called monotropes, and I believe they don't do any photosynthesis. And if you look at them, they look like a little ghost plant, don't uh, they? They're very pale. <laughs> yeah, they're very, very pale. Um, and so other organisms that participate in this like mycoheterotrophy, some of them it's like just in certain stages of their life or certain seasons, but like club moss is an example. Ferns are an example. Um, and there are also like non-photosynthetic orchids that do it too. Hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so like so the plants you mentioned, like the club moss and the ferns, those are like ancient plants when we think about them, right? Like in the fossil record, they're like super old. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the ghost pipes are another like super old plant. Yeah. I, yeah, we'll have to look that up. Yeah. That'd be a really interesting mm -hmm. thing to yeah. delve more into, go farther down the rabbit hole on them. And ghost pipes are just one species of monotropes. There are other monotropes too, or mm -hmm. monotropa, but they all look fairly sim similar. Most of them are like white, but some of them have like this deep red color to them too. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we're talking about our adventures here on the school things we've seen out in the woods. And... Want to jump back to trout for a little bit? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so we're talking about, you know, the different, that brook trout kind of being threatened by these brown trout and rainbow trout. Mm -hmm. and those are other fish in their ecosystem that threaten them. And they were introduced by people. Mm. Uh, this this will be the common thread. that Surprise! Is, yes. This is the common thread that goes through all of the podcast, I think, right? Yep. In every episode, the villain is the human. Sometimes Hexus, but mostly mostly people. So this is, uh, I guess, Hexus is people. People is Hexus, right? <gasps> ah! <laughs> um, the brook trout population, specifically in like Virginia, um, I would imagine Pennsylvania and Maryland, too, um, they, they're really affected by... Acid rain. Hmm. Yes. So the rabbit hole I went down a little <laughs> bit was reading about um, the specific environmental problems that were caused um, by this acid rain. You know, uh -huh. um, brook trout can't reproduce at a pH lower than five. Okay. So acid rain is naturally going to make these streams really acidic. Mm -hmm. And these fish literally can't reproduce and sustain themselves. Yeah. Um, any ideas as to what's causing all this acid rain in the specifically Virginia and like Pennsylvania? But more very, I think it's very specific. It's a Virginia, West Virginia, um, Maryland, Pennsylvania, like bubble, a problem right there. Coal? Um, coal is, of course, right? It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, coal and a lot of like heavy industries in the Midwest. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I guess you, you drove to Cincinnati. 
Mm-hmm. And you pass a bunch of uh, old oh mining towns and old yeah. factory towns. Yeah. We went to Pittsburgh recently. Yep. Obviously a city, you know, foundries, all, all these yeah. heavy industries. Um, so, of course, when all these fossil fuels burn or all these, like, heavy metals are being produced, mm-hmm. um, I got all this particulate matter. Yeah. You know, that goes yeah. up in the air. And it also creates a gas. This gas would be sulfur dioxide. That's mm. the big one here. Okay. Which creates sulfuric acid, which uh-huh. will precipitate into acid rain. Mm-hmm. Um, so all these things fall from the sky, participate, or preci- precipitate. They participate in precipitation. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they start to build up in all these streams and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is like... In the acid rain world, this is my uh, extra chromosome fact. Okay. When the stream, when the pH of a stream is below six, the metals that fall out of the sky, all these like different heavy metals and stuff, they won't precipitate out of the water. Okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So yeah. they stay in the water column. Wow. So they just kind of, just, huh? Little washing machine. They're just tumbling around in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the problem can't really be fixed unless you change the pH of the stream. Okay. So that's why they started adding limestone to all these streams. Okay. Because it naturally, I guess, uh, raises the pH. Okay. And that allows all the metals to sink to the bottom. It's like why people put lime <laughs> in their gardens to... Mm-hmm. Precisely. Um to regulate the pH. Yeah, like, you know, in doing some reading about the trout and stuff, they're like, oh, they're talking about the limestone streams that they're like, yeah. Oh, okay. So I guess they're naturally occurring or like they're, they reproduce better in like these, you know, yeah. ele- elevated streams. I know um, there was a lot of lime where my dad's side of the family is from in Eagle Rock. There's mm-hmm. a lot of lime mining out in like Western, like very Western, almost West That's Virginia. That's West Virginia, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. all those like lime kilns that you see down there, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense for that being like really great drought habitat. Yeah. You know, the mountain streams up there. Okay. Yeah. Um, but to the point where like some of these streams that are really heavily affected, heavily affected like the Shenandoah Valley or, you know, Shenandoah National Park. Mm-hmm. Like they're literally taking like truckloads yeah. of lime, just dumping it. Yeah. In the stream. Hmm. Um, there's a specifically a, a spot in Virginia that we used to live really close to. Um, St. Mary's Wilderness was oh, yeah. just decimated mm-hmm. by acid rain. Um, so they've been doing all kinds of crazy studies wow. on these places. Huh. And um, so right downstream from that, I guess, um, right down the road from it would be the South River okay. in Waynesboro, which oh. has also been heavily affected by pollution. Oh, uh, yeah. DuPont had a giant factory there. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these um, studies on how lime limestone is affecting the water quality mm-hmm. and the viability of these fish to live in there are focused around that area. Yeah. Um, I guess because they've just been in, in environmental nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess they've been adding a lot of limestone to these areas. and But it's not like a, it's not a band-aid. You can't fix all these problems. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Because once there's so much, well, I'll just call it trash. Once there's so much yeah. trash in the environment, it, you may be, you might be able to get out of the stream. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be in the dirt. It's, yeah. So. It reminds me of the Exxon Valdez spill and how um, one of the scientists who was, like, studying the effects of it 
was saying that you can still dig down like two feet into like the sand and you can see like black, like oil, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, because it doesn't go away. I mean, you can't yeah. really get rid of it. You can prevent these things from happening in the future and we can, you know, fix some things, but you, you can't fix it all. Yeah. My, no, my notes here specifically say that a lot of these streams flow through sedimentary rock and soil. Yeah. So we're talking about the limestone streams, how they, I guess, are a natural buffer because they exist like on this these limestone like, yeah. beds and stuff. But some of these places like Bertos, like I think yeah. St. Mary specifically is one of those places that, and some other places in Shenandoah National Park, I guess the government has well, their finger on the pulse with these places a little bit more because it is a natu you know, national forest or national park protected areas. Mm -hmm. But... um some of these places, like especially some of the lower lying places, are going through just you know sedimentary soil, and that's where yeah. the, the bleaching into the the water is a bit, way bigger problem. Yeah. And with every large rain event, the problem just is cyclical; it comes back over, yeah. over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, but there were efforts to try to fix this, you know, mm -hmm. um, in a act of uh, you know political amiability. The 1970 Clean Air Act was passed. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, and that was to reduce emissions. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it probably did a lot of other cool stuff, too. Mm -hmm. But from 1980 to 2012, emissions decreased from 17.5 million tons um, to 3.3 million tons in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, a, I'm not a scientist here, but I'm assuming this is like the emissions from power plants... Um, specifically, like with scrubbing efforts and stuff to make cleaner burning or like mm -hmm. catch a lot of these particulates coming out of it. Yeah. Um, a large drop in this number came after amendments to the Clean Air Act in 1990. Mm -hmm. They specifically created an acid rain program. Wow. Um, and we may have heard this before and talking about the Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal right now. Um, it has been for the past, I don't know, people have been talking about it for years. Yeah. But cap and trade. Mm hmm. So I guess uh, this is our political science section of the uh, <laughs> of the podcast. Um, yeah, all these all these companies. It was initially they thought it was going to be a bad idea for these large corporations. They, they thought it was a bad idea to go forward with this plan. They thought it'd make things more expensive for like people who are buying electricity. Mm -hmm. People in West Virginia wanted to work these jobs and the coal and stuff, right? Yeah. But in interesting way, after. Politicians agreed to make a change to clean things up. Uh-huh. Um, then streets had to adjust. Yeah. And in adjusting, they actually started producing more energy um, for cheaper. Hmm. And in the long term, their industries became more effective. Uh-huh. Which is really interesting. I guess you let them – if you let people work on it and decide for themselves, they're going to make it beneficial for them how they do all the time. Yeah. You just got to give them a chance. Yeah. And by – making them change, everything seems to have gotten progressively better, you know, in yeah. terms of the acid rain problem that was, you know, really scarring all these mountain streams and stuff. Right. Uh, nothing's perfect. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, we'd like to get to, you know, cleaner burning fuels and things. Or yeah. Renewable energies would be ideal. Yeah. But progress has been made, so that's encouraging. That is encouraging. Yeah. I forgot to say one thing. Oh, yeah. And that's that... uh Specifically, we were talking about the limestone earlier. The calcium is a nutrient booster for plankton, which is another reason why 
Okay. Limestone streams are really good. Oh, interesting. These little, these little dudes. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Because, of course, the more plankton stuff in there, the more... Yeah. Just, I don't know. Yeah. Better biome for them to live in. Mm-hmm. Neat. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks, baby. Cool. That was fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I have a little surprise for you. Uh-oh. So, since you are a history nerd, mm -hmm. history buff, history buff is nicer, um... <laughs> I, boys. <laughs> you're a little little history buff boy. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> little history buff boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um so I thought it would be fun to read you a an historic description mm -hmm. of an animal and see if you can guess what animal this is. Okay. Okay. All right. So um the first one is by John White, who, you know who John White is. Um, I believe so. So John White um, came over in the late 1500s okay. from um, England to North America to basically like draw pictures. 100% um, yeah, exactly. Of, of like critters and also um, like people and what life was like. And part of it was to be like, hey, make this place look awesome and make people want to go there. I was going to say, his illustrations aren't exactly accurate all the time, but they look really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think he was actually governor of, like, Roanoke Island. And he left and came back. And he's one of the ones who found that the colony was missing. Found they were gone. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think Virginia Dare was his granddaughter. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So... First description. Are you ready? I'm ready. Their heads, feet, and tails look very ugly, like those of a venomous serpent. Nevertheless, they are very good to eat, as are their eggs. Heads, feet, and tail. <laughs> um, it's an aquatic thing, right? Mm hmm. Okay. Their eggs. We don't have platypus around here. I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it again. Their heads, feet, and tails look very ugly. I know, yeah. Like those of a venomous serpent. Nevertheless, they are very good to eat, as are their eggs. But a venomous serpent doesn't have feet. I know. It's a confusing <laughs> thing to say, isn't it? Um, <laughs> is it some kind of, like, um, like, bivalve or, like, shelled creature? It has a shell. Okay. Um, is it a crab? No. Okay. Um, there's a little spindly legs, right? <laughs> it can't be an oyster, that's, that's for sure. Do you want me to tell you? I guess so. It's a loggerhead sea turtle. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you can say it's ugly, but okay. Anyways. You know, uh, <laughs> Logger's got those nasty heads. That's <laughs> okay, this is another John White description. Okay. This is a fly which in the night seemeth a flame of fire. Uh, firefly. Firefly! <laughs> Good job. Okay. This one. Okay. Um, this description is by Captain John Smith. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. We had more of these 
than could be devoured by dog and man, of which the industrious, by drying and pounding, mingled with caviar, sorrel, and other wholesome herbs, would make good bread and good meat. Um, well, he liked oysters a lot, but he talked about those being like dinner plates, so I don't think this is an oyster. Not an oyster. Um, shad? No, good guess, though. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think about they would be drying and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But other fish? Mm-hmm. Uh, sturgeon? Yep, sturgeon. It's yeah. like sturgeon. I feel like sturgeon and shad and oysters specifically, they were like... Talk about how so plentiful they were, yeah. of these things. Mm-hmm. Good job. Okay. Cool. I Two was... out of three. Good I... job. Okay, this one is by Meriwether Lewis. Okay? All right. We continue to see a great number of these... I presume they must feed on the carcasses of dead animals, for I see no fishing hawks to supply them with their favorite food. Um, bald eagles. Bald eagles! Oh my gosh, you're doing so good. <laughs> good job. Yeah, they're nasty boys. They eat all kinds of dead stuff. They do. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to see them on a carcass. It is really cool. <laughs> they really rip into those things. They really <laughs> rip into it, man. Yeah, okay, I just have one more. Also by Meriwether Lewis. Saw many these feeding on the tender grass in the prairies and several of their nest in trees. We have not in a single instance found the nest of this bird on or near the ground. Um, big bird. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, is that an eagle? Not an eagle. Um, if you've seen Emma's Heroes, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a nice scene with an eagle in that. It's... That's all I can think of right now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you haven't seen Almost Heroes, you don't need to, but you do need to see the scene with the eagle. It's not a good movie. By <laughs> it's not a good movie. <laughs> but watch the part with the eagle. Okay. I'll read this again. Saw many of these feeding on the tender grass in the prairies and several of their nests in trees. We have not in a single instance found the nest of this bird on or near the ground. So this bird eats grass? Mm. Does it really eat grass? Mm-hmm. Grass-eating bird. I don't know. The bird's like little horse teeth. It's just like ripping it up. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. Probably eating other things in the grass. I know. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking his description literally, though. Yeah. This this bird has giant teeth. <laughs> it's like a sheep's head fish. It's like <laughs> people teeth. Um, yeah. But it would be crushing things in the grass. Is it a big bird? Yeah. A really big bird? Pretty big. Okay. Um, is it a another like big predator? Mm-mm. Not a big predator. So, no. not a raptor. Oh no. Oh. I, I'm sure I'm gonna know what this is. Oh, absolutely. You're gonna smack me. It's not a turkey or anything, is it? <laughs> First of all, don't have people thinking that I'm gonna slap you if you can answer properly. <laughs> well, I'm gonna slap myself. I'll put it that way. <laughs> okay. Because I should know this. Um. No, not a turkey. Not a crow, I guess. Bigger. Uh, bigger than a crow. And it's not a, a vulture. No. So those are big birds. Okay. It's not a, not a raptor. Not any kind of raptor. Oh, man. What, what bird do you see most of the time? A blue jay? No, no, no. What <laughs> big bird? If you're at a park, what bird do you see all the time? Just hanging out in the grass. It poops everywhere. A goose? Yeah. Canada <laughs> geese. 
Uh, great description. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's that's all I got for you. You did good. Thank you. Um, I'm not going to count that you got that last one, but I think you got three out of five. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So that was very good. <laughs> uh, I guess I didn't pass. <laughs> <laughs> no, three out of five passes. That's, that's, a, all quor- right. that's a quorum of answers correct. <laughs> I like how we're grading here. <laughs> um, April's usually very generous with me and... Uh, when I pass or fail her quizzes. (laughs) So, um, well, that was great. Thank you so much for being on and doing all that research. Um, I know you like doing research too, so I don't think it was like a chore. There's so much boring stuff I looked up that I, I couldn't talk about, but but it you wanted fun. to. I wanted These to. These are so the things bad. that I'm like falling asleep at night, and you're like, "Let me tell you about like <laughs> this thing," <laughs> and my eyes are like shutting. <laughs> Cap and trade. <laughs> <laughs> well, our little um, our our dogter, as we call her, our doggy daughter, is crying because she can't be in the room because she would be snoring too loud <laughs> for the microphone. So. Oh, yeah, she's uh, she's very awake right now. She wants to sleep right next to uh, my head or something. Or yeah. Snore right in my ear. Yeah. She wants us to go downstairs and be with her so that she can sleep beside us. Exactly. Um, well, um, I hope that this has inspired you to go play outside. As every episode, I think we always hope to inspire you to go play outside you are listening to this, so you don't need any inspiration to go play outside. <laughs> but um, but thank you for being on this journey with us. Um, you can find us at, do you know this? Um, you don't do social media, so you probably don't know Yeah, this. I'm not an internet. I'm okay. Not, I'm not a social media <laughs> internet boy. You can find us on Instagram at all the critters pod. You can also send us an email at catchingthemallpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your listener stories and just be engaged with you. Um, we have lots of cool, like, fun pictures and things like that on our Instagram. And you can also link to our blog from there. Um, and until next time, we hope that you have a wonderful time catching them all. And protecting them all. Hey, you hey, knew it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> all right. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Grayson Harlow for our theme music. You can find us on Instagram at AllTheCritterspod to see updates and pictures of our adventures. Each week, we'll donate a portion of our proceeds to an environmental charity. We'll put their information in the show notes. Now go catch and protect them all. Catch them all.